When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, June 10th. On today's show, we break down all of the quarterfinal action happening across the professional tennis world. Of course, that means I'll continue to highlight the action happening on court in our four-tour level events. I want to start today's podcast in a different place, though. We have yet to discuss the run of Andy Murray, who today earned his first top five victory since the the 2016 season, the two-time Wimbledon champion advancing to the semifinals in Stuttgart, fights off a set point, ultimately earns a straight set victory over top seed Stefano Tsitsipas. Now, of course, Andy Murray has always had success on the grass courts. As I mentioned, he's a two-time Wimbledon champ, first British male to win that Wimbledon title in forever. But you look for Andy Murray. If you watched him last season at Wimbledon, yes, he was able to beat Basilevsky, survive against. Oscar Ota somehow make his way to the third round. This version of Andy Murray, a completely different player. And I'll explain why I feel that way here on today's show. I'll explain why I think he has a legitimate shot to reach the second week of Wimbledon this season. Of course, I also want to talk about some of the other players finding success at our tour level events. Veronica Kudermatova, who is constantly knocking on the door of that big breakthrough certainly earns one of her better victories on the season today. Straight set victory over number two seed Belinda Bencic for Kudermatova, who has yet to crack the top 20 in her career. She's floating right around that mark. And while she won't be able to compete in Wimbledon, Kudermatova has shown a lot of flash and a lot of substance throughout the course of this season. Of course, her plus one game has always allowed her to have success when she plays her best. But I want to talk about the way she's finding success beyond the serve plus one tennis and, you know, again, why she's on the cusp of that breakthrough, why I think she might be capable of doing it over the next six months. But again, Kudermatova, one of the standout performers of the day. You also had Arena Sapalenka, who I know I talked about earlier this week, but she continues to play some of her better tennis here of the 2022 season. Now, of course, anytime you hear it seven, six in the third, you think it must have been an erratic Sabalenka. It was at times, but it was just a fun tennis match between her and Ali Van Utvenk against Sabalenka, able to survive in a third set buster. Break down that action, all the action that happened in the Netherlands, which of course on the men's side included straight set victories from two top seeds who continue to very much look the part in Daniil Medvedev, Felix Ogier, Ali Asim, of course on the women's side in Nottingham. Top seed Maria Sakari knocked off by Beatrice Haddad Maya. And I know I had been on 
that Sakari's case throughout the course of this week on this podcast wanted to see a big result from her, but Haddad Maya was excellent. And again, I want to highlight the success she has had, not just here in 2022, but really throughout the course of this pandemic era of the WTA Tour since tour play resumed in August 2020. I don't think any player has as many individual victories as Beatrice Haddad Maya, who of course had to work her way back from a suspension and has thoroughly done so in the WTA live rankings. Haddad Maya, not nearly as old as she may seem, just given she's been a part of the WTA ecosystem for a long time. I want to talk about what allowed the lefty to have success today against Sakari, why her lefty game, even with the big forehand backswing, seems to be working across surfaces and why that has her dangerous as we move through the rest of this 2022 season. But again, want to run through all of the tour-level events, Nottingham, Stuttgart, the action in the Netherlands. I also want to talk about the stateside ITF events happening this week. Of course, our Cracked Rackets team is so excited to continue our coverage of the SoCal Pro Series, the ITF events happening in the Southern California area over the next six weeks. Of course, we'll have semifinals and finals coverage of every event on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Particularly excited again for this weekend's coverage as it features players near and dear to our hearts at Cracked Rackets. Players we have either had on our Cracked Interviews podcast before or former high performers at the collegiate level, aspiring juniors as well. It's been a really fun week of action, not only in San Diego in the SoCal Pro Series, but in East Lansing as well. I want to talk about those results. I suppose we can speculate on some implications as we head towards the 2023 season season with some of those players as well. But again, plenty of substance for us to cover here on today's show as we break down quarterfinal Friday across the professional tennis world. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out here at Cracked Rackets is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, the support we get from our Patreon family. And by the way, again, to all of you who do take the time to support us on Patreon, we are immensely grateful for that fact. It will allow us to do more traveling here this summer, get out to events. We're so excited. Perhaps some of you saw uh, our announcement to be working with Madison Keys, her exhibition event happening in Iowa this July, and to be able to broadcast that on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel, to be a part of all aspects of the event, something we are significantly looking forward to. And again, we wouldn't get that opportunity without the continued support we've seen from all of you. So on behalf of all of us here at Cracked Rackets, myself, Dalton Thieneman, Daniel Westoff, we sincerely thank you for your continued support. Of course, we are always immensely grateful for the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point as well. And you hear me say it on each and every one of these podcasts. Tennis Point provides the best equipment at the lowest prices. Simply put, you name it, Yonix, Head, Rob, Wilson, uh, Babylon. I mean, again, shoes, clothing, pickleball, you name it, they've got you covered. Anything you're looking for, all in one location, tennis-point.com. Use our promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, tennis-point symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's get into Friday's quarterfinal action. And the place I want to start 
is with Sir Andrew Murray, who, simply put, has looked as good as he's looked since the 2017 season in reaching the semifinals in Stuttgart. You look for Murray throughout the course of this tournament. Straight set victory over qualifier Chris O'Connell. Again, a 6-4, 6-3 scoreline didn't indicate too much about Murray's level other than how routine he made the match look. And despite when making only 49% of his first serves in that first round match, he won 88% of his first serve points, was able to create 12 breakpoint chances for himself when four uh earn four breaks for himself and just again always seem to have a comfortable margin always seem to be up a break against the qualifier from the start that's what you would hope to see from Murray in a grass court event of course his next match a straight set victory over Sasha Bublik which I talked about a bit on an earlier podcast this week but it was how simple Andy Murray made things for himself and I saw a tweet earlier today from my friend Kale Hammond who some of you may know from his work on tennis channels Some of you may know from his own private channel as well. Kale had an excellent stat to epitomize the success of Andy Murray as a returner. And I think anecdotally, many people, myself included, who grew up in this era, Novak Djokovic is the greatest returner of all time. Obviously, Nadal belongs in the conversation, but prime Andy Murray, 2012 to uh, 2016, early 2017, excuse me, it's hard to imagine there was a better returner than Andy Murray, who, you know, career average break percentage, 30.8%. Again, when you're breaking over 30% of the time, you're going to be a top five returner on tour and he was over 30 percent from every for every season but one from 2006 to 2017 yeah that's one of the three to five best returners of all time again Djokovic I would say Murray too I know a lot of people would have Agassi in that conversation Rafa certainly belongs in that conversation as well there's a pretty definitive if you're looking for your Mount Rushmore of men's returners I think that's it Murray, Djokovic, Agassi, Nadal. There's your list. But of course, you look for Andy Murray. And again, shout out to Kale Hammond for this stat about how successful Murray is as a returner against big servers. You look uh, for Andy Murray, a a ridiculous 50 and 9 combined against Karlovich, Isner, Query, Kyrgios, Rayonich, Chilich, and Lopez, who are all top 10 career ace leaders except Kyrgios, who of course would be if he played full seasons. Murray's 50 and 9 against that group. Again, Karlovich, Isner, Query, Kyrgios, Rayonic, Chilich, Lopez. Uh, it was the routine nature in which he was able to, you know, absorb the first serve of Sasha Bublik. And of course, there were times when Bublik hits that first serve too big and a big serve can beat even the best of returners when properly executed. But Murray just forced Bublik to hit a lot of plus one balls and, you know, again, forced him to become impatient, is able to fight off a set point by staying disciplined on his own serve. And, you know, that's what Andy Murray did extraordinarily extraordinarily well today against Stefano Tsitsipas. Murray ultimately earning uh, a straight set victory 7-6-6-3. You look for Murray was able to fight off a fir- uh, set point in the first set, down 5-6-30-40. You know, rolls in a second serve. Tsitsipas connects on the return of serve, hits the return of serve to the Murray backhand, essentially off the baseline. Murray sort of sticks his racket out as a little one-handed backhand half volley flick. It goes over the net. 
as a well-executed drop shot, sails wide, and then Murray able to execute plus one tennis the rest of the way to ultimately hold there. Played a good tiebreaker. Again, I think made, it was, you know, 7-4 for him. I believe he played uh, six points on serve, uh, but I believe on his return points, I think he put four of his five returns in play, and again, just forced pass to have to make that extra shot. And again, with that theme in mind, that's the biggest difference between this Andy Murray and the Andy Murray we saw a year ago against Oscar Ota, against Nicholas Basilashvili. He escaped in those matches at Wimbledon, was thrown in forehand slice, backhand slice, barely surviving as he moved corner to corner and, you know, chipping and charging his way, just making that match extraordinarily ugly. This match against Tsitsipas, the match against Bublik, was not ugly. And you look for Andy Murray to get the break in the second set against Tsitsipas and only one break of serve uh, in that second set. And you look overall in the match between these two, again, uh, very few breaks of serve overall uh, in the match. In fact, you look for Andy Murray not broken in this match against Stefano Tsitsipas. Again, one break of serve in total here was very much plus one ATP, top 20 level grass court tennis. How does Murray come up with the pass? You know, it takes a return early on the rise. Now Tsitsipas able to move him around the court, corner to corner, ultimately gets a shorter forehand cross court uh, from Andy Murray that he comes in behind, hits a forehand down the line approach. Murray passes him with a sensational on the run backhand cross court flick. The same sort of shot that obviously was his signature back in that 2012 to 2016 era and the same short of shot that last year he has to throw up as a sky backhand lob slice or just a stab or something where again he's not getting his body there not able to comfortably fully extend and turn into that shot and generate the sort of pace angle depth needed to turn that ball cross court now of course you still do see more squash shots out of Andy Murray than you used to what do I mean by that the forehand slices out of the corner that are just kind of neutralizing, you know, and trying to get the point back to zero, which are a little bit more effective, of course, given how quickly the ball drops and dies on these grass courts. But the efficiency Andy Murray now has to navigate his service games with, I mean, that's a major benefit for him, particularly in these matches against the big hitters like the Bublik, like the Tsitsipas, who have the sort of weapons to hurt him and expose the fact that while he's still a good mover, he's not the mover he once was. And yet he looked very much like the mover he once was at times throughout this match against Stefano Tsitsipas, just much more comfortable changing direction. Again, wins 82% of his first serve points, 65% of his second serve points, only faced the one break point and, you know, was not broken throughout the course of this match. First top five victory since 2016. You look for Andy Murray now here this season. Again, I think most encouraging, not only is he's back into the top 100, Andy Murray's back up to number 53 in the live rankings. He's about, you know, four ranking spots away from not having to rely on those wild cards to get into everything anymore. He can go play the Masters events, play the 500s, play Wimbledon. And of course, he could always set his schedule because he's Andy freaking Murray, three-time slam champ, world number one, a two-time Olympic singles gold medalist. You know, any event is going to offer him a wild card into it because he's going to put fans in the seats. That said, for Murray, 35 years old, he has always said, when I feel 
feel as though I can't compete at this level. I don't want to just be traveling tournament to tournament and losing first round and not even putting myself in a position to compete for the big titles in the biggest stages. Well, A, how do you avoid losing first round after first round is you get yourself seated. You put yourself in a position where you're not facing a Medvedev round one, a Tsitsipas round one, even a Basilishvili round one of a slam. Murray's getting closer and closer to doing that. And just hypothetically, should he win a title this week, he'll be back up to around number 35 in the world. And, you know, again, given no Medvedev, no Rublev, right off the top, you're at 33. Will Sinner be healthy enough to play? One hopes so, but you assume, will Rafa play the event? One hopes so, but perhaps not. Zverev certainly not playing event, so there's three out of the way right there. There's a world where Andy Murray can find himself seated come Wimbledon. Certainly, again, this isn't the only ATP grass court event on the calendar. There are multiple weeks coming up. This is a surface where he has looked better. And again, for him, the key here, three straight set victories to kick off this tournament. Now, of course, the difference between here and Wimbledon, Wimbledon, three out of five sets. We saw for him last season, uh, even this year at the Australian Open, you know, plays Sydney the week before the Australian Open starts as a warm-up event, makes the final, then earns a five-set victory over Basilishvili in round one, was absolutely absolutely gassed and just didn't have the legs left in his second round match against Taro Daniel. You also look for him last season. Again, the slams that he did play certainly had his shot against Tsitsipas as that match went to a fifth set, but Murray again just didn't quite have the legs. In set number five, ditto Wimbledon third round, Shapovalov just didn't quite have the legs left after playing 10 sets, uh, excuse me, nine sets in his first two matches. This version of Andy Murray Simply put, after, you know, again, not expanding himself, and you look for him during the clay court season, Andy Murray played just the Madrid Masters where he made the round of 16. That was it. He played in Surbiton last week and in the warm-up challenger makes the semifinals there. Plays in Stuttgart this week's make the semifinals here. Now is playing another big server in Nick Kyrgios, who again, 15-8 overall against that list of big servers Kale Hammond presented to us. It's a good matchup for Murray. It gets him back inside the top 50 if he earns a victory, something he will be keenly aware of. And again, with how well Murray is serving here this season, you look for him from a hold percentage perspective. By the way, Andy Murray, 18-9 and overall here in 2022. He's holding 82% of the time. That's 0.1% above his career average of 81.9. And of course, over 80%. Uh, you look for the top 25 players, excuse me, on the ATP Tour, their average hold percentage, 80.6%. Again, Murray is getting back to himself in terms of being a top 25, top 20 caliber server. And of course, he's so efficient, picks his spots so well on these grass courts, making his serve that much more effective. The break percentage is creeping back up. Now, you look for him overall on the season. Murray's break percentage still 22.5%, which is well below that 30% career average, but he's working his way back. It was 12% two seasons ago. You look for Murray last season. Again, that hold percentage all the way, uh, that break percentage, excuse me, even at 21.2%. He's worked his way back up 23, uh, 2.3 this season, slowly, again, finding himself more comfortable, creating more opportunities. Opportunities, of course, just with how many returns he puts in play uh, on these grass courts becomes that much more valuable. But I'm done repeating myself. I think we all know Andy Murray's grass court credentials. For those who are curious in his career, Andy Murray overall on grass courts, almost Nadal-esque in his success. Not, I mean, not 112 and three, but 119 and 28 on the grass courts to win over 80% of your matches and an over, you know, 100, what? 
47 match sample size for mortal humans that's exceptional that's obviously hall of fame worthy stuff which andy murray clearly is he's on the surface where he's always had a competitive advantage against his opponents to me the breakout moment of his career i'll always say was that two i mean some will say it's the 2006 wimbledon of course where he beats roddick beats masu to make the fourth round the signature breakthrough moment for me was his five set victory in the 2008 wimbledon over richard gasquet where he beats him in five sets runs into the crowd flexes his muscles before obviously getting knocked out in the quarterfinals by Nadal. But that was, to me, as a young fan, the moment where I was like, who is this guy? This is the guy I want to be a fan of. I mean, obviously, I don't need to make the case for Murray returning to Wimbledon as special, but this is the event he gears up for the most at this point of his career. If the seeds break right, again, no Medvedev, no Zverev, no Rublev, the lack of grass court repetitions for so many of these players. I mean, is Casper Ruud a definitive favorite over Andy Murray if that's a first round or second round matchup at Wimbledon? Definitive favorite given the lack of grass court matches Ruud has played? I don't think we can say that, particularly, again, watching Murray today beat Tsitsipas in the fashion that he did. You know, there it wasn't as though he was escaping with his ugly tennis. He was just, uh, you know, escaping and making the match ugly, I should say. He was efficient. He was disciplined in his plus one targets, landed first serves when he needed them, put enough returns in play in the biggest moments, and again, was able to keep pace with a top five server in Tsitsipas. Major progression from Sir Andy Murray here this week as he's into the semifinals of Stuttgart, where again, he's going to take on Nick Kyrgios. Kyrgios, 7-6-3-0 retirement victory over Marton Fucevic. You look for Kyrgios here, 15-9 and over his last 52 weeks here in 2022 specifically. He's 12-4, and and obviously that, that doesn't even include his ATP, uh, ATP, excuse me, his Grand Slam doubles success at the Australian Open. Who are the four losses to for Nick Kyrgios this season? This is a really fun game. And obviously, Kyrgios, you look right now in the live rankings, currently sitting at number 65 with his semifinal run here. That'll actually help him because while he should get plenty of wild cards, you look at the summer events he'll want to play. Uh, the Cincinnati, Canada, that'll be interesting. But, you know, the Atlantas of the world, the City Opens of the world, the Los Caboses of the world, all of those events, Kyrgios is going to be able to play play on his own ranking, which at times uh, has seemed like an impossibility given how infrequently we've seen him. Again, just 16 matches this season, and yet 16 matches this season. Here are his losses, 12-4 and four overall. Loses to Medvedev at the Australian Open, four-set match. I thought we all th- agree the quality of that match, particularly the first three sets, fairly high. Loses three sets to Nadal at Indian Wells. That was a fun match. Loses straight sets to Sinner in Miami. That was a fun match. We all remember his second round victory over Rublev in that tournament where he just blitzed the number five seed. He goes to Houston, makes the semifinals, knocked out three and five by Riley Opelka. That's the weird loss, but we don't see a lot of clay court Nick Kyrgios anyways. Now into the semifinals here in Stuttgart. Again, 12 and four overall this season. Do we see Nick Kyrgios as frequently as we would like? Absolutely not. When we have seen him this year, he's been about as good as he has ever been in his career. You look for Kyrgios overall this season. Now, again, 12-4 and four overall, but the hold percentage where it always is, 93%, which, by the way, would be a, is a career high for him, and that 93% would lead all top 50 players on the ATP Tour. It is not hyperbolic to say Nick Kyrgios has the best serve on tour. He's also breaking serve 21.1% of the time 
which would be outside the top 25 of the ATP top 50 players. And you look for ATP top 50 players overall, that average break percentage, 24.4%. But it's a career high for Nick Kyrgios this season. Again, where he's at right now at 21.1, and he's got the best serve on the ATP Tour. So he's improved as a returner and and putting more returns in play. He continues to just hit his spots freely as a server. I mean, it's not a shock to say at 27 years old, someone's the best version of themselves. I do think this is the best version of Nick Kyrgios we have ever seen on court. I think if you actually watch him play, how comfortable he is right now on serve and how disciplined he's been on serve this week in particular, I thought it was I mean, it helped that he broke Basilashvili right out of the gates in set number two in his round of 16 victory. Three set went over Basilashvili yesterday, but he did get that break right out of the gates. And then from there, he was on cruise control. And he just, again, has that comfort level on serve where if he's cranking, it's going to be six all and you're going to have to play a tie break. And yeah... Kyrgios, very vulnerable in those tie breaks. You look for him overall five and five in breakers in his last 52 weeks, but you're in a breaker. And when you're in a breaker, give me the guy with the rocket serve. And that's what Nick Kyrgios has. Obviously, his friendship with Andy Murray hopefully will bring out his best tennis tomorrow. That's going to be a really fun semifinal between those two players. And for what it's worth, Murray, five to one head-to-head career advantage over Nick Kyrgios. Of course, on the other side of the draw, you've got Matteo Berrettini continues to work his way back into form, was even more impressive today in his three-set victory over Lorenzo Sanego, comes back from a set down, 3-6-6-3-6-4. I mean, there's not much to elaborate beyond Berrettini. Big serve goes in, sets up the big forehand. When he executes that, it's a top three play on the ATP Tour. That's how efficient he is when he's landing that ball. Obviously, he's number three right now in hold percentage amongst top, all players on the ATP Tour, and there's a reason for that. He sets up the big serve, the big plus one forehand again, even against the Lorenzo Senega, who had disciplined his backhand, was trying to take that return a little bit earlier and just take a little bit of time away from Berrettini. Didn't matter, and ultimately Berrettini found his range as a returner. You blink even for a moment in your service game, Berrettini's going to make you pay by running around the ball and snapping off a forehand return, taking a big cut on that ball, you know, keeps his slice so low and is doing a much better job now and did a good job today of, you know, swinging through his backhand return and just, you know, incorporating some sort of depth on that ball so as to not leave, uh, to not leave himself at a complete vulnerability. Now, again, credit to Senega, who changed up his spots extraordinarily well with the forehand, inside in, inside out, short angle, drop shot, but Berrettini was able to weather the storm and get the early break he needed in that third or get the break he needed excuse me in that third set get the early break he needed to just build some momentum in set number two I mean again Berrettini looks better and better certainly if healthy he's got a couple weeks to work himself back into shape last year's Wimbledon finalist absolutely capable of duplicating that performance this season and look it's gonna be a strange test for him against another big server in Oscar Ota but if you're asking me who's plus one game do I like more give me Bateo Berrettini in a match that should feature at least one tie breaks at Berrettini 1-0 career head-to-head against Ota. But look, I think no matter what, given Oscar Ota, again, I said Max, he's Max Cressy with worse, worse press, but a better player than Max Cressy with his creativity, the serve and volley, his penchant for fun as well. And let's say it's an Ota Murray final, a little Wimbledon second round run back in the Stuttgart final. I think we can all find a way to be intrigued by that storyline. 
Stuttgart's popping this week on the ATP side and certainly, again, should be a fun final two days of the tournament. Of course, with that in mind, let's flip gears, talk about the action over in the Netherlands. And I know we've spent a lot of time focused on these two events in particular. I will try my best not to repeat myself here as we break down all of the action that happened in the Netherlands yesterday. But of course, you look uh, on the women's side, certainly the most notable result of the day, probably Probably the three-set victory of Arena Sabalenka, 7-6 in the third over Ali Van Utvink. That was just extraordinarily tennis. I mean, plus one at its finest. Sabalenka, sometimes she just hits these down-the-line winners where I think she even shocks herself. But just, again, that's the sort of power tennis she's capable of playing. And look, this was very much grass court tennis. Both players winning over 72% of their first serve points. The biggest difference being Sabalenka had the bigger weapon on the second serve. You know, when Sabalenka got a look at a second serve return, it was automatic. I'm teeing off on this ball, whether it's forehand down the line, whether it's a heavy backhand cross court on the ad side to your to the Van Utvink backhand wing where, you know, as good as she is changing direction and generating depth on that ball, it's just not much of a weapon. And when Sabalenka could get depth to that backhand wing, she would just be able to stay on her front foot in the rally. I mean, Sabalenka played a discipline, as disciplined of a game plan as you can play with the sort of power tennis that she plays. Of course, there was still a healthy amount of unforced errors, but you know, again, the match was on Sabalenka's racket, particularly uh, down the stretch in that third set. And credit to Van Utvink, who was the more creative of the two players on the run. Sabalenka, the more powerful of the two, and of course, she's going to be more powerful than, in my opinion, every player she steps on the court with, but the forehand slice for Van Utvink, how she just kept Sabalenka frozen on that other side of the net. When was she going to go forehand slice? When was that forehand slice going to be a drop shot? When was she going to send that ball deep? When was she going to go short angle, take a ball early, flat on the rise down the line, move forward? Van Utvink was in her toolbox. And again, working all the different angles, taking advantage of the free missed return Sabalenka gave her in just about every return game. But again, the power tennis of Arena Sabalenka won out. And given that she has to defend finals points at Wimbledon, every point Sabalenka can accumulate over the next three weeks, critical to her staying inside the top 10. And with her victory today, she's back up into the top five, number five in the WTA rankings, leapfrogging over Maria Sakkari, though they're tied in points for what it's worth. Sabalenka back up to number 13 in the points race. She trails eighth place Danielle Collins by uh, just uh, under. 300 yeah just under 300 points which again with how much calendar left on the season not much at all and there's no Wimbledon points offered so Sabalenka is not going to miss out on that but I mean you look at the draw now for Arena Sabalenka she's going to take on Shelby Rogers Rogers three set victory over Kirsten Flipkins Rogers continues to play outstanding uh, tennis here in the Netherlands and again you look for Shelby Rogers right now uh, the 29-year-old currently 37 in the live rankings. One more victory. She'll get to a new career high of number 33, and she will be seated at the 2022 Wimbledon. I mean, look, that's going to be power tennis once again at its finest for Arena Sabalenka. First strike versus first strike, and I actually always like those matchups for her because there's just not a lot of time to think in those matchups. She's not going to get in her own head and think, oh, you know, again, there's not going to be – she's not going to have to – 
worry about the extending rallies and am I pulling the trigger too soon? All of these different things. When against the Shelby Rogers, if you leave a ball short, Shelby's going to go big. You know that going in. You got to take your cuts on the return of serve. You have to assert yourself with your serve and plus one game. When Sabalenka does that well, she looks as good as any player in the women's game, not named Iga Sviantek. So again, Sabalenka, extraordinary performance. By the way, first career head-to-head between Shelby Rogers and Arena Sabalenka. That is a fun sab- uh, semifinal. Sabalenka, 74.1% favorite, uh, according to Tennis Abstract. But you know, the player of Netherlands on the women's side, probably Veronica Kudermatova, who escapes yesterday down a set but up 5-2, then gets a retirement injury, her seventh retirement injury on the season from Anna Blinkova. Uh, that said, you look for her today, was dominant in a 6-4, 6-2 victory over Belinda Bencic, fought off all three break points that she faced. And just, you know, I've mentioned this before for Veronica Kudermatova, who this season holding 76.2% of the time, which is 4% above her career average. And she's ninth amongst top 50 players on the WTA Tour in terms of hold percentage. When she lands that first serve, again, how low and how much drive there is on her plus one forehand backhand. She's comfortable taking those balls down the line, cross court just on a tee you're just in trouble as her opponent you're on her back foot and on these grass courts in particular that game style appears to be effective and of course on a surface where you know servers have the advantage because it's that much more difficult to break serve it's that much more difficult to extend rallies make matches physical and you know draw the unforced errors that come when you can get into that seven to ten shot range with a veronica cooter matova uh, she's going to make you pay. And you look for Kuder Matova this season, 23-11 and 11 overall in the year. She's winning 68% of her matches. You look for her against opponents ranked outside the top 20. She's 19-6, and 4-5 and five against top 20 opponents, but you know now has wins over Bedosa at the French Open, over Bencic here uh, in the Netherlands, and you know wins over Avika, over Muguruza in Dubai. You look for Kudermatova in her career against top 20 opponents. She's 12 and 28 overall. There was a stretch in 2021 where she lost uh, two, four, six, eight consecutive matches and 10 out of 11 against top 20 opponents. Again, you look for her this season, four and five, a massive step in the right direction. She's also won four of her last seven against the top 20 as well. And you look for Kudermatova, who right now in the live rankings currently at number 24 in the points race. Kudermatova's ninth on the season. And you look for her right now in terms of yearly ELO rating, according to our friends at Tennis Abstract. Interestingly, she's at 25th. I think that speaks to, you know, again, some of the retirement victories she's gotten factored into that ELO rating. But ninth in the points race right now is Veronica Kudermatova. And you look for Kudermatova, 25 uh, years old now overall, uh, you know, since that start the start of August 2020 you know my favorite era here this pandemic era of tennis Kudermatova very quietly again ruthlessly efficient you look for her overall during this stretch of time 65 and 42 she's winning 60% of her matches what do we always say when you're winning 60% of your matches you're going to continue to move up the rankings you look for Kudermatova now year after year here you know won 57% of her matches in 2019 we're going to throw out 2020 because 
because that was the pandemic year. So 2018, she wins 54% of her matches. 2019, 57. 2021, 58. This year, again, you look for her now overall on the season. Kudermatova, a very, very impressive. 23 and 11 overall on the year. She's, you know, holding serve at that 76.2% clip. Breaking serve 27.3% of the time, which is still 47th amongst top 50 players. But again, on grass courts in particular, her game becomes that much more effective and you look for her overall in her career on grass court. 16-11 overall. She's made big runs in the Netherlands a couple of times. It's her second semifinal there. She's made at least the quarterfinals all three times she's played this event. Lost first round Wimbledon last season to Golubic who in three sets, 11-9. Golubic of course ultimately goes on to reach the quarterfinals now. We will not see Kudermatova as there will be no Russian players at the 2022 Wimbledon at least for now, but uh, certainly Kudermatova, a player who, is ha- who has made a rise this season. It's not quite the soccery Sabalenka level jump we saw last season, but of that group of, you know, that players of the next year, because she's a year younger than the Sakharis, than the Kantaves of the world, you know, uh, the players who we listed to pop at the start of this season, Kudermatova, Vondrusova, Teichman. Vondrusova has been extraordinarily injured. Teichman certainly had her flashes. Kudermatova has been the most consistent of the bunch. And again, I think it's legitimate that she's ninth in the points race this season. That's how consistent she has been week in, week out. Even if you look for her overall, uh, she lacks any titles to her name, but has made three different finals now into another semifinal as well. Quarterfinals at Roland Garros, third round at Australian Open. Again, like who's had the better season? Kudermatova or Jessica Pagula? I think you could make an argument for Kudermatova, although I think it's pretty close. And again, I think that speaks to the quality of player Kudermatova is. I don't think we think of her as the threat that is Jessica Pagula. They do it in completely different ways. Again, Pagula is going to make a million balls and play, make you work, is going to make you, you know, again, peel her off the court to beat her. That's not Kudermatova, whose cold days certainly look a bit colder than, you know, the floor is lower than a Pagula, but on the right day, the ceiling, I think, can be just as high. So keep your eye on Kudermatova here over these next couple of weeks. Again, going to have to rack up playing opportunities. And look, she's 2-0 in her, against her semifinal opponent tomorrow in Ekaterina Alexandrova. Alexandrova straight set 0-1 victory, ending the run of first-time quarterfinalist Katie McNally on a grass court. Excuse me. Um, it's interesting. Alexandrova, 50.6% favorite over Kudermatova tomorrow. And yet again, Kudermatova 2-0 in the career head-to-head for what it's worth. Uh, None of those matches have ever come on a grass court. Both of them were back in 2019. Nevertheless, it's a fun match, obviously, between the two Russians over in the Netherlands. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline of course, on the men's side of the equation. A fairly straightforward day of action. Again, your top two seeds continuing to very much look the part as ultimately uh, we saw top seeds, Daniel Medvedev, Felix Oshir, Ali Asim advancing in straight sets for Medvedev, six and four over Ilya Ivashka. I mean, look, 
dramatic first set, sort of, in I suppose, in the sense that it went to a breaker. Medvedev didn't serve particularly well in the first set, making just 57% of his first serves, but 186% of those first serve points. Went 12 of 30 on second serve points, but you know, three of three on his break point chances. Ivashka, two of three on break point chances. Again, very thin margins between these two players. 78 total points for Medvedev, 70 total points for Ivashka. This was grass court tennis. Medvedev style, which is just, it's really hard to hurt him always. And you think you can change direction, but if you're incorrect, he's going to make you pay. If you're outside the court, or you just leave too big of a space or you commit too hard, he'll hit behind you. Medvedev just always keeps you guessing. And again, it was a tumultuous first set, 10-8 breaker to Medvedev, but he's ultimately able to advance as is Felix Ogier Aliasim overcomes an early break deficit, 6-4 and four victory for him over Karen Hachanov. Now, Felix didn't serve particularly well either, making just 59% of of his first serves, but was dominant behind his first serve. 33 of 39 on first serve points. 15 of 27 on second serve points as well. Again, you look total points one in this match. 75 for Felix. 67 for Hachanov. Another eight-point gap between the two players. This match was not as physical as the Avashka uh, Medvedev match, which just given it featured Daniil Medvedev, of course, featured far more five to ten plus shot rallies. But look, this was plus one tennis at its finest. You know, Felix taking advantage of a loose service game from Hachanov in that second set in particular. Did a, in that first set, you know, Hachanov served for the first set up 5-4 and just was unable to land a couple of first serves. And Felix connected on a backhand return on the break point that drew the error from Hachanov. Again, I made the case for both Felix and Medvedev yesterday, so I won't repeat myself here. But they both looked impressive in advancing to the semifinals. Of course, Adrian Manorino ends the run of Brandon Nakashi. Manorino 6-7-6-1-6-4 win over Nakashima, who served extraordinarily well throughout the course of this tournament, did a great job moving forward, I think has just taken such leaps as a as a volleyer, and, you know, I'm not gonna lie, looks more muscular, like, he looks bigger, looks like he's got a little bit quicker, and, you know, again, that first step is a little bit faster than it once was, and he's always been a good mover, but with his first step getting better, he can sniff around that great mover conversation, particularly with how well he anticipates on this surface. That said, from the baseline, it was just hard for him to break down Adrian Manor Reno. And again, the way Nakashima was able to create attacking opportunities for himself was by moving forward. But Manorino controlled the flow of play when it was a baseline to baseline rally, changes directions extraordinarily well. And again, I was impressed by Manorino. Three set victory over Nakashima. And, you know, your fourth semifinalist, Tim Van Richeven, who, Aritavin, excuse me, who just continues to swing freely. I mean, if you have not watched the wild card from the Netherlands compete this week, and I talked about him extensively yesterday, go watch him play. His one-handed backhand is just an experience in racket speed, in eccentricness, just how he accentuates everything he does on that wing. It's extraordinarily fun to watch. And so again, keep your eye on Timmy VR, uh, who we got to find. Yeah, Timmy VR is fine. Um, Six and four win over the always tricky lefty Hugo Gaston, who just didn't have enough juice to hurt Van Reitevin with. And 
it was extraordinarily impressive to just watch him swing freely into his first ATP semifinal. And you look for Van Rietveen now again. It's not quite a life-changing sort of result, but he is up to a new career high now of number 153. One more victory will get him up to number 140. He wins the title this week. As I mentioned, he would move all the way up to number 106 in the live ranking. So even a title this week, he still won't be in the top 100, but certainly some momentum on his side as we navigate through this grass court season. And of course, it's Medvedev Manorino tomorrow. Manorino actually three to one career head to head over Daniil Medvedev, although of course, the last time they played was 2019. They did play at the 2018 Wimbledon. Manorino, a five-set victory over Medvedev in the third round on that occasion. They also played at this event back in 2016. Of course, Medvedev, 20 years old at the time, was a 4-2 and two victory for Manorino. But, you know, Medvedev already vanquished his Jill Simone demons earlier this tournament. Maybe he's got another French list, uh, Frenchman to knock off on that list, of that list, excuse me, as well. And then, of course, Timmy VR has yet to play. Play FAA in their careers. That's understandable. Maybe there's some junior history in their past. FAA would have been very good as Timmy V was at his best in the juniors. I'll leave that question to be answered by Colette Lewis. But again, that's your action happening at the ATP level. You go and look at our final WTA level events happening. Uh, of course, we'll start uh, with Nottingham. Top seed Maria Sakri knocked out by the always tricky lefty Beatrice Haddad Maya. You look for Haddad Maya ultimately able to advance uh, with a three-set win over the top seed. Uh, Haddad Maya 6-4-4-6-6-3 for the second straight day. Sakari came out a bit tentative, and Haddad Maya made her pay, was on top of the baseline on every service return and just taking that ball early, trying to take time away from Sakari. Now, Sakari did a great job making an adjustment and starting to not only hit her uh, first her plus one shot on the rise and earlier just to take that recovery time away from Haddad Maya, but starting playing behind Haddad Maya and just again going more for taking time away from Haddad Maya than playing to the open court because the lefty moved quite well on the grass courts, defended her lefty first serve quite well as well, made 71% of her first serves, won 76% of those points. Now both players struggled on the second serve. And again, this was a match with thin margins, a lot of breaks of serve in this one, but Haddad Maya just did a better job of moving the ball around the court. It felt like there was just more sting on her forehand, more angle created, more comfort taken away from Sakari than what Sakari was able to do when this match was at neutral. And Haddad Maya, again, did a great job moving around the court, matching the physicality, or at least the possible physicality on a grass court that, you know, Sakari is able to introduce into every match that she plays. And what I'm trying to say is the outer bounds of physicality one can have in a grass court match is, of course, limited, but Sakari going to push that limits every time she steps on the court. Haddad Maya was able to match the patience of Sakari, and it just felt like, again, at neutral, it was Haddad Maya as the one changing directions with an early backhand on the rise or, you know, creating angle with her lefty forehand, just getting Sakari stretched 
stretched into the outer thirds or outside of the alley where at that point now you're paralyzed because you want to cover the open court at the same time you can't have all of your momentum going one way or it's just so easy to be hit behind on a grass court Haddad Maya had Sakari paralyzed and again outside of the first serve setting up the plus one ball it was really hard for Sakari to hurt Beatrice Haddad Maya when this match was at neutral and again you look for Haddad Maya who you know 26 years old now since August 2020 my favorite starting date as you listeners know ridiculous level of success for Haddad Maya who had to play a lot of ITF events just to get back into the top 50 but she's 130 and 38 since August 2020 so again she's played 168 matches in about a two-year stretch that's a ton of tennis to put on the body that said, it's worked. You look for the 26-year-old Haddad Maya up to a new career high, number 42 in the live rankings, back where she was prior to her suspension. And, you know, again, I mentioned the success at the ITF level. You look for Haddad Maya, you know, uh, I mentioned that 130 wins, 120 of her 130 wins have come against opponents ranked outside the top 50. But now, you know, you look for her against the top 50 during this stretch. She's 4-9 and nine overall, but three of those four wins have come in her last five matches against top 50 opponents. Two victories for her, obviously, over Sakari, the first in Miami, the second here in Nottingham. She steadied the ship, has Haddad Maya, and the lefty, again, moves the ball extraordinarily well around the court. I think her movement has gotten better and better uh, as she gets more comfortable playing at this level, and she's just got some weapons at her disposal, and you look for Haddad Maya, who's outside the top 50, but uh, certainly that hold percentage hovering right around 70%, that's right around, you know, a top 20, top 15 sort of number amongst top 50 WTA players. When Haddad Maya is landing the first serve like she did today, she just has a lot of options at her disposal. And yeah, that lefty backswing gets big, uh, but it affords her opportunities. And so again, Haddad Maya advancing to the semifinals where now she's 2-0 against her opponent, Teresa Martinsova. Big semifinal for Martinsova, who with this result now in the live rankings back up to number 56 is the 20-year-old, uh, seven-year-old, which again, just keeps you in, uh, I believe 27-year-old, yeah, which just keeps you in the hunt. You know, I, I thought Martin Silva was just rock solid today in her 3-2 and two victory over Jung Shui and just, you know, again, made more first serves than her opponent, was able to dictate as such in her return games and take big cuts at the second serves presented to her. She wins 18 of 25 second serve return points in the match. I talked about her earlier in the week, so I won't reiterate myself too much, but she's just rock solid off of both wings. And look, it's a fun, sneaky, you know, these are the sneaky second week tournament here in Nottingham now. Who are the players you have as a dark horse to make a run at? Wimbledon. Well, certainly Haddad Maya would be one of them with all the success she's had. Last year's quarterfinalist, Victoria Golubic, into the semifinals here with a 2-6 and six win over fellow Wimbledon quarterfinalist last season, Elia Tomjanovic. You know, we know the weapons Golubic possesses, how well she attacks open space. Ali Risk, I talked about her grass court success yesterday. Risk, a three-set victory over the Tricky and hitting the forehand extraordinarily well. Harriet Dart, who just didn't quite have the physicality down the home stretch of that match and certainly would have been zapped after her 7-6 in the third battle with Camilla Georgie the day before. But Haddad Maya, Martin Sova, Risk, Golubic. 
I think one of those players makes the second week. No, that's too hot takey. Let me watch two more weeks of grass court tennis. But again, all of these players have played a high level of grass court tennis. All of them have a pedigree of some sort of grass court success as well. Keep your eye on these Nottingham semifinals, which are going to be tightly contested. And again, am I disappointed Sakari doesn't take the title? Does this knock her out of top five Wimbledon contenders contention right now? It does. But we still have two weeks to go. And again, given some of the absences, we're just going to be looking for names uh, by the start of Wimbledon. With that said, that's where things are on the Nottingham side of the equation. Just quickly on the 125K in Valencia, certainly uh, have been impressed by Jung Chin Wen. 7-6-6 love victory for her today to advance to the semifinals. You now look for the 19-year-old. You know, again, it's a 125K event, but for what it's worth, she now uh, into the semifinals of the, you know, again, this is the second highest level semifinal she's made in her career outside of the Melbourne semifinals she made earlier this season. You know, those sorts of things matter. And yeah, she has three titles to her name, none of them above the 60K level. And you look now for uh, the 19-year-old currently now up to number 54 in the live rankings, which is a new career high. A title this week would get her into the top 50. Again, 19 years old into the top 50. That's where the growth starts because now you can play everything. You don't have to worry about qualifying. You're getting into main draws, even around the Stuttgarts of the world. We know she has the weapons. She showed the consistency this week. She showed if you don't have the weapons to match her, she's going to make you pay. And again, to have the run she did to take the be the only player to take a set off of eventual champion Iga Sviantek to have that translate into a semifinal next week. That's the sort of run you get from the players that are special. She's got a serious test on her hand tomorrow in number one seed Nuria Parises Diaz, who of course the. Tw- uh, excuse me, 31-year-old, 30-year-old, sorry, 30-year-old, 31 this July, you know, just continues to crank. And for her this week, two three-set victories and the straight-set victory today. Again, she's going to grind. But that match is on Junction Wentz racket. And so it's a very fun semifinal test. Of course, you look the other half of the draw because that's one half of your semifinal. You've got Xi Yu Wang, the ta- another talented a young Chinese woman, of course, the lefty, very, very excited to watch. She's taking on the always tricky um, Miriam Borkland, 23, uh, Bjorkland, excuse me, 23-year-old with probably the biggest run of her career, also capitalizing on some momentum she built qualifying at Roland Garros. That's what's happening at the 125K in Valencia. With all of that said, Let's talk about the action happening stateside at the ITF level. And again, we've got ITF events happening on two college campuses this week. One of them at the, or I should say two of them, men's and women, at the University of San Diego. The men competing at a 25K in East Lansing as well. Of course, our Crack Rackets team, so excited to be on the coverage for, uh, for the 2022 SoCal Pro Circuit for these men's and women's events happening at the University of San Diego. And look, We've got what we love most, college tennis ties for two of our semifinals. Unfortunately, top seed Gage Brimer, former UCLA standout, finalist at last week's event. He was knocked off today, 4-4 four and four by former Georgia, Arizona State standout Nate Ponwith. Ponwith into the semifinals.
semifinals here. Uh, you look for Ponwith, who, uh, by the way, has had a fair... I mean, again, let's just break it down here via Tennis Abstract, and we'll get into all this, I'm sure, on our broadcast tomorrow. But for uh, Nate Ponwith, currently sitting at 714 in the rankings, 13-24. and 24, uh, First semifinal for him since October of last year, and you look for him overall in his career, again, in terms of semifinals made at the pro circuit level for Ponwith. It's just his fourth at the pro circuit level, so obviously big jump for him. Hasn't advanced past a semifinal since 2019. He'll be the favorite in his matchup tomorrow as he's taken on Princeton's Ryan Siegerman. Siegerman, a good win over junior learner Chen in straight sets. Siegerman, also a good win earlier this week over Calvin Boyd, a former UCF standout over redshirt freshman Jack Anthrop. So again, faced some younger guys, uh, certainly has Siegerman this week, nevertheless has found himself having success against those younger guys. That's, and again, Siegerman transferring from Princeton to UNC next season, given uh, they're going to lose a guy in Ben Seguin in a match. Matt Kiger, two hearts of their lineup. That's absolutely uh, two players they're going to have to struggle to, uh, you know, struggle to replace. And Siegerman, again, having this sort of success, reaching the NCAA tournament last season, a guy they're counting on to help fill those gaps in the lineup. Of course, on the other side of the draw, play still going on. Oh, excuse me, recently completed Duarte Valle into his second consecutive semifinal. The recent Florida graduate All-American two and two victory today over Bay. All-American Adrian Boitan. You look for Duarte Valle now. Again, another guy who's well-positioned to begin his uh, pro career. Valle now into the semifinals again for the second straight uh, event here in the SoCal Pro Circuit. Exactly what it's trying to provide. Playing opportunities for those players kicking off their pro careers. He's now with his three victories here this week. 28-16 and 16 in his last 52 weeks inside the top 650 with this result. Again, Four more events to go after this week if he can get two more semifinals or even two more quarterfinal appearances, and he'll be seated at a lot of these events and be favored to do so. Now you're sniffing around the top 550, 500. Now you're pushing yourself towards where you can almost begin to play challenger qualities and, again, take that next step up on the ATP Tour for Volley to be able to do this right away. Again, a good launch point. Certainly he'll have to grind on the futures, but much like we've seen with recent you know, UNC standout Rinki Hijikata. If your level translates to the level and degree of success Vale is already having on the future circuit, that pathway to the top 400, top 300, the challenger level, it's there for you. And certainly I believe right now it is there for Duarte Vale, of course, for Vale tomorrow. He is going to be taking on Julie, the number two seed, a straight set victory over Eric Hadigian. And again, we'll have more opportunities to preview those matches tomorrow. Of course, you look in the doubles. We'll also have our doubles final for what it's worth. Two Baylor standouts, Jacob Brum, Teddy Paralek, partnering to reach the final. They're going to take on now Cal player Sid Banthia and his new teammate uh, Kikuchi as well. Yuta Kikuchi, excuse me, Banthia Kikuchi already having success as ta- Cal teammates into a Futures final. So again, that's going to be a fun match for us to cover. Plenty of college ties, plenty of action on the men's side in San Diego. Of course, on the women's side, it's going to be a fun day of matches as well. You look overall in terms of what we've seen unfold. Again, top seed Jessica Fela today. Uh, 
uh, yet to complete her match? Or is that match still scheduled to go? No, it may have been completed already. I just don't see it showing up on the results compiled right now. But uh, certainly two of the players who have advanced, Ya'i Yang, who we see once again, the talented young woman from Chinese Taipei, a 3-6 and six win over Daria Kutzer. Also had a win from Zhang Shu Han. She knocks off Kimmy Hance. You look, of course, for Zhang Shu Han. Uh, again, another young player working their way up the rankings right now. So a good win for her over the young UCLA standout in Kimmy Hance. And you can understand why Hance perhaps a bit worn down after she earned a marathon three-set win yesterday over McKenna Jones. Again, still waiting to see the results of Fela versus uh, of recent Pepperdine standout Jessica Fela taking on Arizona freshman Midori Castillo. Meza also waiting for uh, that result between Sabina Zanilova and Maria Kazireva, although I believe Kazireva ended up winning that match in straight sets. Of course, Kazireva, the recent St. Mary's standout graduate, reached the final of last week event. She's Duarte Valle, back-to-back semifinal. Shout out to the both of them. Of course, you look at the doubles action we have unfolding on the women's side. Let's see in terms of who our finalists are going to be. Don't think they've played those matches yet, but Kazi Reva into another semifinals in doubles as well. She was your doubles champion last week. You see former NCAA champion McKenna Jones partnered with UCLA's Kimmy Hans. She's still alive. Vicky Hu of Princeton still alive as well. Mirsha Shnachenko uh, and Kazi Reva, by the way, the doubles team that played together last week, playing together again this week into a second consecutive semifinal. So again, high-level college tennis players. If you enjoyed those NCAA championships, the level of tennis you saw uh, throughout the course of the action in Champaign, I promise you will enjoy the action we have for you tomorrow and on Sunday on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. That coverage beginning 1 p.m. Eastern time. Again, you can find coverage of this event on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Of course, not going to be on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel, but worth noting, how about those results at the 25K in East Lansing? Jacob Bickerstaff, shout out to the Michigan sophomore, one of the standout players, you know, improvers, improvers, so the word improve, most improved players of the year, uh, lost what, like three dual matches for Michigan this season, three set victory for him over Kentucky, number one, Liam Draxel, so Bickerstaff into an ITF final, again, you're starting to look at next year's lineup, Bjorn Svensson reached a semifinal at the SoCal Pro Circuit last week, he's an incoming freshman, of course, Gavin Young was outstanding when healthy this season, Nino Aaron Schneider, filled in so admirably throughout the course of last it filled in I played I shouldn't say filled in he is as good as any player in that lineup then of course you bring back your top three in Styler in Maloney in Fenty you've got options if you're Adam Steinberg next season again Jacob Bickerstaff you feel like oh the grinder throw him at five throw him at six well his level may indicate nah he can compete anywhere. And again, just give so many options for this Michigan team. Fantastic victory for Bick. Great win for Georgia Tech's Andre Martin as well. Three-set victory over Kentucky's Joshua Lapidot. I believe Shinsuke Mitsui, the superstar now rising sophomore for Tennessee, also advances to the semifinals here with a victory over Naoki Nakagawa, the number two seed. When I last looked, Mitsui was up a set and a break. And indeed, three and five victory for Mitsui, your last quarter final right now. Gabe Diallo up a set and a break on top seed. Noah Rubin, the standout from the University of Kentucky, who just about everyone was talking about in Champaign. Again, that would be a fantastic victory for him. And man, Diallo, Kentucky, Bickersteth, Michigan, Martin, Georgia Tech, Mitsui, Tennessee. College tennis everywhere, folks. Plenty of fun action to watch 
across the board here in another championship weekend on the Pro Tour. But again, we'll be back throughout the course of this weekend to hopefully offer you updates on everything that's unfolding. If you are trying to watch the SoCal Pro Circuit Saturday, Sunday, we'll have coverage on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. Of course, we will have coverage of everything uh, happening across the Pro Tour. You can find it all on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, a massive shout out to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all this content possible. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 with all of that said for our fantastic super producer Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.